The Blockhash Podcast is also brought to you by Viva Digital. Viva Digital has a team of experts that can solve the technological problems of your computer. They can also offer the best advice to carry out those computer projects that you have planned. They are located in beautiful Medellin, Colombia in Monterey Mall. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at vivadigital.com.co and don't miss any promotion. All of the awesome audio and beats on the Blockhash podcast are brought to you by my good friend Tiger at It's Tiger Music. So go check out It's Tiger on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Music. What's up, guys? It is Wednesday, August 26th. This week on the podcast, Will Martino, CEO of Cadena, comes back for part two to talk about the new updates and changes on the Cadena blockchain. We go into a lot of detail on growth and scalability, so definitely listen to this episode twice. With that said, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain and Cadena. Enjoy. Good. How are you, Brent? Good. Good. How's how's the quarantine going? Where you're at? Meh. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's garbage for everyone. Miss seeing friends. Yeah. But, um, outside are. of that, yeah, hasn't really hit like my family too much. Hasn't. Yeah, Kadena hasn't taken any serious hits from it, so that's good. That's how great. are you? Oh, I'm I'm surviving. <laughs> I'm down in Colombia still, so I can't really complain because it's such a great country, but. Um, it's definitely haven't been that impacted, uh, down here as compared to what I've seen in the U S. So I'm a little blessed in that respect, but, um, huh. are you somewhere rural or are you somewhere in the city? I'm in the city, actually. I'm in Medellin. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they jumped on top of the, the pandemic pretty quickly and locked everything down, which, which is good. So our cases haven't been that bad over the last six months or so um and we're starting to come out of it slowly i think we'll even have our our flights start again pretty soon which should be awesome um but i mean i can't complain because it's such a great city it's warm great people great food all of that so it's like riding it out in paradise yeah ah, that's a very very good plan um it's i mean yeah it's a great situation to be in yeah absolutely absolutely Have, have you guys been able to stay productive yeah, we um so we went remote in uh, March first, uh, mm-hmm. just because that was the point the company was at because we had launched and um, there was really no reason for us to not go to a more decentralized model. And then the pandemic hit and we just looked like geniuses because everyone was already set up with their home office. We had already been trans- translating the culture to a distributed environment. So at the company level, it was you know I mean like everyone had the psychological hit of what the fuck but you know compared to most of our business partners we really weren't affected um there have been some places i know that have just crawled along um and uh, understandably so they weren't designed to be remote only so it happens yeah only well, the good thing about you know being in the blockchain industry being able to develop i mean you can do a lot of things from home or remotely because i know there's a lot of businesses that have been impacted but it's that lack of being able to be flexible i guess and um yeah i mean and some you know, we were already like go in that direction so it was all right but yeah it's been um it's been an interesting uh whatever no it's been shitty but it's been fine that's good that's good yeah. so what, what's new what's new since uh we last talked in january it's been a while 
Um, yeah, a bunch. Uh, so today, about 40 minutes ago, all of us uh, at the company jumped onto a Zoom to watch the network um, scale up. So, you know, like as you know, just a recap, um, you know, we started out uh, working on a private chain and working on the smart contract language pact, and then you know figured out the thing called Chainweb, which is now our mainnet for a public chain based on proof of work. Um, it braids multiple chains together. So think of it like sharding, except that it's proof of work and that it actually is already shipped in production. Mm -hmm. And um, so we launched with a 10 chain network. So this is about you know 10 times the uh, throughput of a normal single chain blockchain. And um, today we scaled it up to 20 chains. Um, so we doubled the sharding count. No one's ever done this before where you've had a sharded, no one had ever scaled a layer one directly without having to resort to some sort of centralization. Right. Uh, you know, state sharding was something that we didn't invent the term for, but we definitely were the first ones to actually ship it. And then, um, you know, we became the first again today by, uh, you know, upgrading the size of the network in production. No one's ever actually upgraded one of these things before. I mean, like making the blocks bigger technically increases throughput, but that's not really what we're talking about here. We doubled the capacity of the network while keeping you know everything except for the number of transactions that you put into the system the same. So that's just this huge deal. We have you know, that going on. We uh, in paired with that, we've decided to open source our private enter enterprise blockchain, which is the mm -hmm. Basically, the successor to JP Morgan's first uh, blockchain called Juno, which we then um, in-housed and um, have been working with Fortune 500 on for a few years, um, with uh, DeFi, uh, like both showing a lot of potential but showing a lot of need. We decided that it was a really good idea to open-source Curl, um, our permission blockchain, and allow people to have a lot of people in the public community that have access to enterprise-grade technology that comes right out of you know. Um, that harkens back all the way to JP Morgan's Blockchain Center for Excellence you know, from four or five years ago. So those are the two major things just for today. I believe that Coral will be open sourced in uh, at least within the hour. So definitely today. And we, we did the upgrade. Those are the two huge things. Nice. Um, outside of that, yeah, I mean, since we last talked, we got listed on Bittrex. Um, we announced our partnership with uh, Chainlink. I'm collaborating with them on Oracles. Uh, we were one of the leading projects on the Coinbase Rosetta announcement and implementation. Um, we've been working with them for a while on helping to build that Rosetta. And because we're the first sharded chain, we also get to test out their um, approach to uh, supporting sharding our sharded protocols on Coinbase, which is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we got our Q3 product roadmap out. Uh, you know, the other major thing from the um, the DAP point of view is we have these things called uh, gas stations, which we had had the ideas about before, and I'm pretty sure we talked about before, but it was this mm -hmm. notion that you would have a smart contract that could have an account that could pay for its own gas so that you didn't need to have, like, you know, if you want to go start, if you want to go buy a crypto kitty, for example, you needed to go and make your step one to using it was to go make a crypto wallet and get some Ethereum to then pay the gas to then use the app. And that's a huge barrier to entry for adoption. So instead, um, and people have been talking about how to do this for years and no one's ever actually done it, but we figured out a way to actually make as a native on chain, the ability for a contract to have its own gas, which means that you can have a DAP that can onboard new users without them having to go make a wallet and go to an exchange and go and get coins for gas to run the DAP first. You're gonna just immediately go and, you know, our, our basic example of this is our guest book that we have where anyone can go and sign the guest book that's on mainnet and that contract uses a gas station that 
will pay the gas for that transaction without you having to go and generate a wallet or anything, um, but also without having to have some centralized server or some centralized service from the developers running. So those rolled out in full production in uh, about a month and a half ago. And um, last thing is probably just uh, announcing a Polkadot partnership um, and following up, we announced it last, I think, November, December, and followed up on it um, recently. We've been working with them on figuring out how to uh, do a, both a fast and a slow integration. The fast integration being taking our enterprise blockchain Coro and making it a compatible parachain. Um, kind of similar to what we did with Tendermint and Cosmos, except that we would just be taking our own chain and making it compatible, our own permission chain and making it compatible with uh, their platform. Mm -hmm. And the longer term idea of taking Pact or smart contract language and making a WASM compatible uh, core of it so that anything that runs WASM can potentially run a uh, compiled down version of Pact um, on chain so we can take this language that has all the features that you really want for DeFi, governance, formal verification, and um, formally verified interfaces and um, imports that uh, actually do inlining so you don't have dependency issues, um, like with the uh, parity multisig um, you know, bug back two years ago, mm -hmm. uh, and just be able to put on anything that runs was it. So those are the high level ones. I figured I'd get through all of them and see you know, what's the most interesting to you and I think um, you wanted to update me also on what the new format of your show is, and we can just figure out what to talk about while we're, you know, on air. Yeah, well, it seems like you guys have been busy, <laughs> which is which is awesome. Uh, congrats on all the developments and everything too, and uh, all the upgrades and whatnot that came out today. Um, what are you guys at with your TPS now? Uh, I think it was like almost half a million, right? Yeah. So our TPS, especially now that we have the private blockchain out. Um, we're uh, quoting the hybrid number, pub the hybrid TPS publicly. And with 20 chains and two curves attached to it, it puts us at around, a conservative estimate puts us at around half a million transactions a second um, of you know, capacity, you know, should someone want to go and actually do that full deployment. Mm -hmm. uh, this is you know, tested, it's running on all the technology we've built for the last four years, so we know it all works. Um, but you know, like, you know, when it comes to TPS, it's a very, you know, it's always been very difficult for people to have an honest conversation about what mm -hmm. those numbers mean. Everyone from IBM to Oracle to, you know, all of the different, um, you know, quote unquote scaling projects that have quote unquote scale. And it's like, yeah, but not really. Like we're talking about very different things. Ours is an honest number, but it's for our hybrid platform. Right. It, it feels like it's, you know, from if you ever like max out the platform, which is not like something that realistically happens all the time because everyone's operating within a certain threshold. Um, but I mean, where's that like place Kadena in terms of the other blockchain blockchains out there um, in terms of TPS? So that's the hard part because the, the, or at least it's a very nuanced conversation because there's a, like a profound lack of nuance on most projects parts and mm -hmm. Uh, some are more honest. Um, where it would put us, I would say that we're in, you know, when you figure out scaling, like we have with Chainwork, where you have a layer one that, you know, we just upgraded to 20 chains. There's no reason we can't upgrade to 100 or to 1,000 or to 10,000 later on down the line. At that point, talking about TPS doesn't really make much sense anymore. And I know that a lot of people love to talk about huge numbers, and, you know, we have a huge number in our um, press release from, today but at the end of the day like the 
the conversation, once you figure out scaling, the conversation of what the TPS is pretty much ends because it becomes an unbounded thing. We can make the network bigger. Um, it's a demand-driven thing, so we have to do an intentional upgrade to the network. But once that happens, we can you know, double, quadruple, 1,000x our capacity. And then at that point, it's like, why are we talking about TPS? TPS on any network should be demand-driven. So like, there's no reason to run a half million TPS system you know, continuously um, when you're still in the early stages of adoption, like we are, you know, we're you know, growing quickly, our, you know, our community is growing quickly, our uh, developer base is growing quickly. But at the end of the day, you know, we're talking about, you know, the leader in smart contracts and in DeFi runs at 15 transactions a second. And they have no path for, you know, they have marketing for Ethereum 2.0, but like, let's be clear, like no one really has faith in that anymore. And it's finally. Mm. So, you know, I mean, if we're talking about this, like we're already live in production, we've just shown that we can actually scale up in production. And all Ethereum's talking about is layer two scaling strategies. And to be clear, our hybrid platform is reminiscent of a layer two, layer one, layer two scaling approach, where you run the private permission chain attached to the layer one and our base layer of mainnet. So you know, when Vitalik talks about roll-ups, like mm -hmm. this is what we're talking about here. It's a layer two solution and layer twos work on any um, layer one. The main thing is that layer two solutions are a big pain in the butt. Like, can you imagine if MakerDAO launched as a layer two solution? So they launched their own permission chain network that was stuck onto Ethereum instead of just launching right onto Ethereum. And mm -hmm. like, do you think that they would be where they are today? Or do you think DeFi would be where it is today if they couldn't have just launched on layer one and been able to you know organically build and grow before and build up the reputation before they you know decided to upgrade to a layer two sidechain. Same goes for like crypto kids. Like I just can't imagine most of the really innovative stuff launching on a layer two because with a layer two you have to bootstrap a lot of the network security yourself and you have to do it from day one. So you know we already have the problems with the YAM token where they screw up the code, they need to do a governance upgrade and they can't because it's just too expensive because there isn't enough capacity in the network to, um, you know, there's enough capacity in the network. So every you know gas call costs like 10 bucks and it just kind of gets stuck and it breaks. Now imagine like, you know, Yam, but now Yam also has to, as an added hurdle, launch their own um, permissioned layer two that's attached to the layer one and not screw it up. So I'm really not of the opinion that layer two is going to allow for innovation. I think it's actually gonna significantly get in the way. I think hub and spoke is where DeFi goes after it's proven out that it can work on layer one, like only after like you know, compound has proven out that it can work on a layer one. Um, will it really be going to a layer two and a significant layer? Maybe. So at least those are just my you know, general right. opinions. It's amazing to be seen. Would DeFi be better off on Kadena rather than on Ethereum? Based on what you yeah, said, absolutely. it's it's not really even that much of a question. Um, it's the uh, you know, between the smart contract language that you know has formal verification built in. Like we designed, you know, we come out of Stu and I come out of you know, finance and regulatory um, on the financial side. So it's like we've seen. I just we have this just 30, 40, 50 years experience in that sector, and that allowed and informed how we designed the language that runs on top of blockchain. Like Solidity and the EVM were very much a free for all, like, you know, world computer, which is a cool idea, but 
you know, here's what DeFi needs. Like DeFi needs something that is reliable and safe that has, you know, 80% of the, um, the, like most of the things that DeFi needs should be built in as a native, like governance of a smart contract. That shouldn't be an extra contract or module you have to load. That should just be natively supported by the protocol, like Pact has. You know, formal verification. If your language can't be formally verified in a total way, then you shouldn't be using that language for billions of dollars of assets. Now we can get away with not doing it for a bit, but if we're really going to scale this thing and are really going to democratize it and bring a lot of people into it, these things, you know, smart contracts need to be very simple, clear, and safe. Now you need the ability to have um, interoperability in a safe way. Parity Multisig showed us that having contracts interact can spell disaster for the um, operators and the users of those contracts because if a dependency that's downstream, or that, sorry, that's upstream from a contract fails, so, you know, your contract is trying to work with the compound contract mm -hmm. and the compound contract locks up in just the wrong way. Your contract may also get locked up and be irrecoverable. You know, we've seen this before. So, you know, that's where, and then, you know, on top of that, you're running, um, you know, you're running DeFi on top of a 15 transaction a second network. So you're seeing, you know, like at least you know, to run any DeFi contracts, you're talking about like a six to $10 fee per transaction. And all of a sudden you start looking at centralized approaches and how much cheaper they are. If you can scale the base layer and then you can make the smart contract language safe, like that's where um, Kadena and Pat comes in and that's where we win. Because these things will prove themselves out. Ethereum has shown before and I believe it's showing, and again, sorry, I believe it's showing this again now, that its fundamental limitations limit its growth. Ethereum should have gone and taken over the world over the last five. Like CryptoKitty should have been the first one if they had had Ethereum 2.0 or just some notion of scaling and scaled up mainnet and had some way of upgrading the EVM to be way safer, then it would have taken over and I don't think there'd be many competitors of anything out there, but it has utterly failed at that. And that's really what we were trying to do with Kadena is to have something that doesn't have those bounds on growth once the momentum starts to pick up. I mean, DeFi is hot right now. You know, the price is probably going to spike through the roof over the next quarter and a half or two, but Everyone knows that fundamentally DeFi is never going to grow that big because the, the throughput of the network just isn't that high. And mm -hmm. people can talk all they want about um, optimism and about um, uh, ZK Stark or ZK Snarks and Starks and rollups. Those are great and all, but for rapid innovation, those are really not the type of thing that you want to be using. And it also adds this hurdle of complexity to a already complex and very dangerous system. MakerDAO and Compound and DYDX moved heaven and earth to make safe contracts. And they managed it. But now imagine adding on, you know, another significant layer of complexity. So I'm, you know, I'm bullish on DeFi. I'm not too bullish on Ethereum long term. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you know, who knows? Could be wrong. Yeah, well, who knows in this space? <laughs> I, I think Ethereum's fundamentally flawed and has been for a long time. And where they've, you know, really dropped the ball is they were the first mover in the space and had such a huge advantage. And um, now they're at the point where they got serious competition and people surpassing them and they're still not even upgraded to this um, magical Ethereum 2.0 with all these things they say they want to do. Um, you know, I think that's hurt them the most overall, uh, not being able to, you know, scale the way they want to and solve all these issues. Um, DeFi is a different topic though. DeFi is really interesting. I, I just don't think it has as bright of a future on Ethereum as it might on a different platform similar to Kadena. Um, 
And I mean, in terms of scalability, what, what are your guys' next steps in terms of scaling Kadena? Or are you guys where you want to be for now? Um, right now, we're where we want to be. Mm -hmm. But that's mostly, that's not to say that we have, you know, all the capacity that we could ever want. It's mm -hmm. to say that, um, you know, two things got proven out um, over the last year. One was that you can launch a, you know, a sharded proof of work network. Um, that happened, you know, back in January when we launched, and the next just happened in you know this August, you know today, that you can scale that up, that you can actually take the number of shards, you take the number of chains, and double them. So the next milestone for us would be 50 chains, but that's really just dependent on the ecosystem. If the ecosystem starts to really develop and you know we start to you know grow incredibly quickly, then that gets prioritized to happen quickly. But otherwise, we have ample capacity for now. One of the things that you know we have we argue a fair bit on. Um, you know, Discord on Telegram about with um, people from other platforms is that I'm not a believer that gas should be very expensive. I think the price of gas should be along the lines of the price of grief. Like you don't want people, you don't want to have gas be free because that means that people can just grief your system and that's annoying. Mm -hmm. So you want to make it just expensive enough that it's a barrier to grief. Um, but you don't want gas to be driving the value of your token because that, you know, once you have gas that, you know, because it's a scarce resource can go up in value dramatically. That also means that you have a network that um, the capacity of it is a scarce resource and it will limit your growth long-term. I get that for the last three years, a lot of people have been talking about, oh, you know, it's gonna be the scarcity of the tokens use that is going to drive the price of this thing up. Um, for a DAP, I buy it, or in theory, I buy it, but for a layer one protocol, I don't. The gas is there for you know, rate limiting and for DOS protection, but really shouldn't be something that is driving the cost of your network because once it can have a value, once you have a cost that's higher than the cost of just stopping griefers from griefing, then there's no bound to how high that price can go. We're seeing that with ETH right now, where people are like, wow, DeFi is really cool, but man, it cost me $9 to make a Gnosis multi-sig contract. That's ridiculous. Now, hey, why don't they just have multi-sig as a native, which is a really good question. We have it as a native, it's not that hard. But also just you know, make a new contract costs nine bucks for just to do multi-sig. You should be able to make you know multi-sig contracts for like less than a penny. But mm -hmm. again, you know, there's you know, different camps on this. How, how does Kadena, uh, from a technical standpoint, avoid having the same issue that Ethereum has with you know high gas fees or when you have all that throughput and when you're trying to scale things up? Um, like like how does that differ? So the gas in Ethereum, just like the fees in Bitcoin, are driven right now by just the limited network capacity. Um, so it's feasible in Kadena that we could have a period of rapid growth where the network becomes saturated and then the gas fees do start to go up. Uh, but unlike Bitcoin and unlike Ethereum, as we've you know, seen today on August 20th when we upgraded to 20 chains, mm -hmm. we can increase the network capacity to add more capacity. So let's say that you know on 20 chains, uh, you know, by the beginning of uh, January 2021, um, you know, we've had uh, multiple um, stable coins and a few um, uh, decentralized exchanges come on board. And we're starting to see 50% on average plus utilization of the entire network. You know, that's we're talking like 500 transactions a second there. Um, and you know, something along those lines. And once we start to see that, then it's time to start talking about making the network bigger. Because the last thing we want is for the network to have explosive growth and for the capacity of the network to not be there 
for to allow that growth to happen. So if we you know, manage to not be able to scale the network, you know, scale up in production like we've proven that we can. So now it's not really a question, but still getting used to it because you know I used to have to talk theoretically about in theory we should be able to scale up the network and increase the number of shards. Now that we've done it, now we can do this. It's now a proven thing. So it's really just at that point about timing and making sure that you're ahead of the curve. And you know, DeFi moves fast and crypto moves fast, but it doesn't move that fast. You know, like the idea that you're going to go from um, you know using five percent of the network capacity to a continual usage of hundred percent of the network capacity, which is then what starts to drive the price of gas up. And I don't really see that happening in under a month or two. And that's how long it takes to do one of these upgrades. So that's how we do it: is like gas prices now are a function of networks not being able to scale, of ETH 2.0 not launching, and Bitcoin not really wanting to scale up their base layer, and that's okay. Uh, but you know, the way that we avoid it is that we crack scaling. We can just make our layer one bigger as the community demands it. And then that also negates the ability for competitors to come in and to try to poach things that we can't service. You know, right now, most of the DeFi projects, um, the people that we've had trouble talking with over the last couple of years are now much more interested in talking with us because a lot of people are looking for a plan B because they don't really buy Ethereum 2.0 as something that's ever going to actually exist in the way that it's been pitched and that's actually going to scale. They think a proof of stake chain might exist, but the idea that they're going to have a, a sharded uh, proof of stake network that's you know, safe and launches anytime in the next you know, three years, mm, I don't really know anyone that buys it. Anymore. Two years ago, yeah, a lot of people thought that they could pull it off, but now, eh, not so much. Maybe Beacon Chain, but that's about it. Gotcha, gotcha. Have you guys had any applications launched yet? I saw that you guys had a COVID blockchain application or something like that. Yeah, so we um, so we put that one together and that one launched out on the platform. Uh, that one hasn't gotten a lot of uptake just because the market has moved since um, the, uh, oddly enough, the, the market has for COVID testing has moved to rapid on-site diagnostics because mm -hmm. there's a fair amount of faith in our, um, you know, global and national institutions, it's gotten lost. So anyone with a piece of paper that says, oh, I got a uh, you know, COVID test in the last 48 hours, like no one really buys that anymore. So instead, you know, it's gone to um, uh, just on-site testing instead, which is unfortunate. Um, we have had Blend uh, open source, and Blend is, I think, the newest West Coast unicorn. They do um, uh, commercial mortgages. Um, sorry, they do uh, retail mortgages. And uh, they just open source their FinPrint app, which was, Effectively, it was going to be a attempted takedown of the um, Equifax uh, credit services, or at least something close to that. And they ended up shelving it just because of market time. Um, you know, we have a stablecoin app that uh, um, we have a few different stablecoin apps we're talking to uh, that we have, you know, basically out in our test net that we're helping to get kitted up. Um, one of our community members just launched a token, basically just to show how freaking easy it is. Um, and, you know, the announced USCF partnership from, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, we've been continually working with them, um, you know, with the regulators, and we're hoping to have a significant update uh, come September, but admittedly, things got a little bit delayed because of the pandemic, so September is like what we're hoping for, but it might end up being closer to October. But that's something that we can't go too much in the details on just because of how sensitive it is and because of how mm. it relates to, you know, governments and um, regulators. Right, right. Yeah, it, it's kind of sad that, you know, the government isn't using blockchain uh, as much as they could be, you know, with the pandemic. Um, like, what are some of the benefits of being able to, you know, 
use like a COVID blockchain application. So I imagine you'd be able to track all these cases and figure out where everyone's going and everyone could have a health record. I feel like it's just such a better system. I'm surprised that they haven't jumped on it more. Yeah. Um, you can add to that also, uh, you know, uh, doing supply chain tracking for the quality of the testing kits. This is initially when we were building out the app where um, uh, we were focusing it because there was this issue of these fake kits coming over from across the world for testing. And the idea was that at the manufacturing site, um, you could have someone, you could have, you know, basically a private key be given to the test, a one-time use private key that meant that um, to use the test, you'd have to you know, go and scan the thing. And if that test had gotten cloned because one of them was fake, um, that private key would also get cloned. And private keys work really well for authenticating, you know, like they should be unique. So if you end up taking a test and I end up taking a test, and when we go in and we do the scan of this QR code to go and um, look on the ledger to say, it's like, hey, I you know, got tested and here's my results. Um, if you got tested first, I go and I scan that private key and I find out, hey, you know what? The guy, there's someone else, I don't know who because it's all you know, private data, but someone else scanned this private key already. So I know that this test, that either his test or my test are mm -hmm. fakes. And I don't want to use this test. And it's also a cool thing because you might have gotten a fake test early. And then you can actually go and check later on. It's like, hey, did anyone show up with this private key that my test came with later on? You know, maybe, maybe that casts some doubt onto the validity of my test too. But it's, I mean, it's unfortunate, but the government, the federal government has just absolutely let us down. Um, in the U.S. on this, and it's just, it's been a catastrophe. So, you know, anything short of just like an utter meltdown, I'm pretty much just happy with at this point. I'm just expecting <laughs> it. And I'm really not looking forward to what the next, uh, what the fall and the winter is going to look like in the U.S. It's going to be a mess. Yeah, I, I don't think the situation is going to get that much better too quickly. You know, heading into the fall, heading into the winter, that that is flu season. So it's, it's just going to propagate the, the whole coronavirus pandemic even more in a lot of places, especially in the U.S. And yeah, the federal government has not handled it well. And it's just sad that some of this technology isn't being utilized when it could you know, rapidly help resolve the issue. But that's just the world we live in, I guess. Nah, it's more the, it's the country that, um, I don't know, it's not, because everywhere else did it way better. So yeah, well, yeah, actually I can, Columbia did a pretty good job. Everywhere I go, I'm pretty much trapped. <laughs> if I go to a mall, if I go to Starbucks, if I go to the office, um, they're, they're taking my ID down, they're taking my temperature, um, they're spraying my shoes, washing my hands. Like it's very, very controlled. They know where everyone's going during the pandemic. Um, they don't use blockchain either. They probably should, but at least they're tracking it better. Um, they, just, they did something that works. That's really all that matters. Like, yeah, it's, it's helped a lot. I mean, they've done a few stupid things that have aggravated it. <laughs> but I mean, other than that, they've, they've done a pretty good job. And there's some other countries that have too. Um, I, I remember you mentioning earlier, KDA was on Bitrix, right? Correct? Yeah. Is that, is that newly on Bitrix? Or are you guys on some other exchanges? Or what's the plan there? So we got listed on Bitrix um, a few months ago. Um, yeah, so we got, I mean, we got this in Bitrix a few months ago. It was awesome. They did a great uh, job. And Bitrix Global team was fantastic and they did a pretty good integration. Um, and it was just, it's been awesome to just get onto a, you know, real exchange of top 20 by real volume exchange. And it's been really good for the, um, you know, for the community, for the coin. 
um, just for publicity, also just for market access. Um, and yeah, I mean, recently well, a small exchange um, came to us and asked, uh, basically they, want, they told us they wanted to list us. They're called Coin Metro. They're you know, very low on the, um, the volume scale, but they're mm -hmm. a uh, kind of an up and coming um, exchange. They care a lot about AML, KYC, legal, reg. Um, they operate both in the US and in um, the EU. And they came to us and were just like, hey, like, we like your project a lot, we want to list you. Um, you know, we're not going to ask for a fee or anything, but can you uh, help us with some questions? And they have so far, I think, done the best job of uh, the actual integration itself. But Facebook Global did a, a quite good one too. It's just that, you know, a small exchange you get to work with um, the, uh, need to really work directly with the you know, entire engineering team mm -hmm. um, to make sure the integration is perfect. Um, but the most fun stuff that we've been working on when it comes to changes is definitely Coinbase's Rosetta. Um, and you know, Rosetta, I don't know if you saw the press release from them, but it's their, I, their approach to streamlining listing, uh, the listing processes. And it's this idea that a project can build a, uh, against this API that uh, the Coinbase team has defined and that, uh, you know, Rosetta, sorry, that Coinbase could then build against that implementation. And that will you know, bring down the amount of time it takes them to launch a new coin on their exchange from taking you know, anywhere from three to 12 months down to about six weeks. Um, so we've been working with Coinbase on that for, uh, man, I think it was since like February. Mm -hmm. And um, we're the first and I think only uh, state charted protocol to uh, have gotten through the integration. Um, we've gotten, it's been a lot of fun. We've gotten to find some know interesting edge cases because if we're the only sharded thing out there then you know of course we're going to find like the bugs that other people can't find because we're the only ones who are testing you know their notion of what a subnetwork means and how a shard works and how to get them up and then how to get everything updated um but rosetta is really cool um also because i think it's going to be one of those things that projects from now on um whether they're you know years 20 tokens or tokens on top of the platforms or just base layer protocols are going to preemptively do integrations with, just because it's going to streamline the process of getting listed, I would suspect at other places too. Because once you have Rosetta integration as a project, any, um, any platform that has the ability to integrate with a Rosetta um, implementation can then just pick up that uh, integration that the project did and list that token in you know, no time at all. So it's kind of like, um, you know, there are certain wallets where you can go and submit uh, pull requests to um, add your coin to them. It's kind of like that, but for exchanges. Um, and I think it's just a really cool idea. Yeah, absolutely. What, what do you think the timeline would be to get on Coinbase um, at, at this point in time? Because I know a lot of people are trying to. It's They've been very selective. It's, yeah, and also a lot of people don't talk about it because you're explicitly told not to. So I can't really comment much on it at all. Yeah. No um, yeah. It just Rosetta is I can I can just pair back you know part of what the press release kind of underscore or underline like the most important bits of the press release, which is that one of the things that they've identified that they need to do better is listing more assets faster, and that's what Rosetta is designed to do. And we've been you know um, very lucky in um, having a you know ongoing relationship with Coinbase and um, you know being informed about and invited to help with. Uh, you know, the, being in the first cohort of people to actually go and build against Rosetta um, from the project point of view and to work with their team on getting to um, uh, polish different parts, identify bugs in other parts, um, you know, help to redesign other parts. So overall, it's been great. But as timelines go, the first thing they tell you when you start working with them is you can't tell them. 
Yeah, no, no worries, no worries. <laughs> um, but what, what is it that's like slowing them down? Is it just like a logistics issue or? I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, it's, I mean, they've identified it as an issue. I think they brought in a new head of product, but we can't really speak to how that process works. I don't really have that much insight into it. Um, you know, the people that we work with are great. Um, Rosetta, I love the idea of, and it's been great to, you know, get into their blog posts on Rosetta, you know, to get into press with them and be on the Rosetta homepage, all this stuff. Uh, but you know, I mean, our, our experience of working with them is very positive. It's just, I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really the wrong person to go and ask. I think probably someone who used to be. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, no worries. I was just kind of curious. Um, before we uh, wrap up, I have one more question. What do you guys, you know, what, what's um, what's your timeline look like for the rest of 2020, for the rest of this crazy year? Uh, timeline? So our timeline is, I mean, finish up the Rosetta implementation pretty quickly. Uh, mm -hmm. so let me go and pull up my uh, uh, Q3 roadmap that we just um, uh, pulled out. So we like to do a Q3 roadmap that has actual dates, and then Q4 that is just kind of like, the ideas of what we think is going to be there because crypto just moves so fast. So, um, you know, uh, one of the things in Q3 we did was you sharing an update on the Chainlink collaboration. Um, you know, we scaled up our uh, before chain to 20 chains. That is in August. Um, you know, the other stuff that we've done recently is uh, the Polkadot Web3 Foundation update. Um, and, you know, stuff that's coming up is we're rolling out a full developer engagement program. Um, we've been really focused on getting like listed and scaling and um, have all the different pieces for a really streamlined developer experience and also have a language that's designed to be really easy to use. Um, but we haven't really had them in a one kind of holistic place. Um, despite, you know, we actually already built out a Udacity course. Uh, the guy who did the um, Solidity uh, Udacity course, we um, got in touch with after he did that and um, he contracted us to do um, our packs uh, kind of uh, beginner and intermediate courses, which have been great. Um, other stuff, uh, we have some updates coming on the hash function. Um, we have some uh, research that we've been doing in that we think we have a way to be able to have multiple hash functions being mined in parallel on the same network. And it's because we're this sharded proof of work blockchain. So we have multiple proof of work chains braided into one network. We can have theoretically you know, five or 10 of the uh, braid, of the chains that are in the braid uh, running one algorithm and the rest of them running another algorithm. Um, this is still, you know, earlier stages of research. We've been working on it for, um, since I think like maybe February or March. And we think it's possible, but we want to have, we realize that it's like a pretty novel form of research because no one's ever figured out how to actually have, you know, completely distinct mining communities. Um, and you know, the ideal long-term for us would be that we would have like one algorithm like you know, Frog POW or E4R, that's for GPUs, one algorithm that's for FPGAs, you know, probably one that's for um, CPUs, and then one or two that are for ASICs. This is for when we scale up to 100, maybe 500 chains, and have you know, three to five different algorithms, you know, actual mining camps that traditionally hate each other, actually mining and coexisting in a collaborative way on the network because they would have different segments of the network um, devoted to their respective mining focus at a given period of time. It's this really cool idea that actually it's almost like enforced decentralization because it would mean that, you know, the people who do FPGAs and the people who do, um, you know, let's say ASICs or GPUs or CPUs, they don't tend to overlap dramatically. There's a kind of like 
you know, Bitmain doesn't do all the above. Bitmain really just focuses on the basics um, versus uh, like um, you know, people who do FPGAs, um, like uh, I forget what his name is, Blackliner or something. They tend to focus on um, you know, just doing FPGA as well. So it's this, kind of, it's this idea that you can actually have multiple distinct um, mining ecosystems collaboratively making your platform more decentralized and more robust. Um, outside of that, uh, you yeah, know, finishing up the uh, Rosetta implementation that should be um, uh, towards the end of Q3. And, um, you know, now there's some new DeFi partnerships um, towards the end of Q3 as well. And then after that, it's really just, um, I mean, a lot of it is just uh, starting to focus on how to bridge uh, these different partnerships and different projects that we've been working with, so like Polkadot and Cosmos, Chainlink, and how to leverage Pact and how to leverage um, Coro, our permission chain that we just open sourced, to be something that can start to unify um, different parts of the ecosystem and in such a way that we can actually start to provide these parts of the ecosystem that um, are right now kind of struggling, especially in the Ethereum side, with the technology that's at hand, provide them a bridge for being able to use Kadena as excess capacity, or use Kadena's excess capacity for um, doing more stuff. Like, I love the idea of bridging uh, in a peer-to-peer -peer decentralized way from Ethereum to uh, Kadena and back, so that you can have things like, um, you know, you don't have to worry about it costing an arm and a leg to cast a vote on Ethereum because their gas prices are through the roof. Um, instead, you can have a governance, you know, collecting, like a vote collecting contract on Kadena's mainnet, where you can actually bridge over your vote to that contract. That contract can collect these things, and then it can bridge back a consolidated vote without having to resort to some permission chain that you may or may not trust, without trying to resort to, you know, some, you know, potentially not possible to model um, ZK, uh, like zero knowledge um, or homomorphic encryption approaches. So, you know, it's a lot of DeFi. Um, it's a lot of just building out the community more, um, you know, continuing to hit on all cylinders where we're really seeing a lot of success, which is, you know, just beating the drum on guys. We figured out scaling is actually here. We're not faking it. You know, the future of scalability is proof of work. And this no longer is theory. It's actually in practice and we figured it out. And on top of that, the smart contract language you have is everything that you want for DeFi and a lot of stuff you didn't even know that you wanted. So it's really just about like beating the drum, continuing to, to gain momentum and build out the community, both in mining, the developer side and the retail side. Yeah, it's, it's awesome watching you guys grow um, and, and keeping up. So, I mean, Will, thank you for taking the time to have your day to talk about your updates and everything, Dana, and come back on the podcast. Always fun having you. Um, and uh, yeah, keep me updated as everything you know comes out the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me again. It's been great chatting. Yeah, you too. Have a great time and stay safe. You too. Stay safe.